This is The Widow Podcast and I am Karen Sutton, The Widow Coach. I'll be supporting you through the loss of your life partner so you can find a more positive way through your grief. I want to give you hope after loss and to know that when you are ready, you can create a meaningful life for yourself with the help of me, Karen Sutton and The Widow Podcast. Hello and welcome. In this episode, I want to talk to the fact that some of us didn't get to say goodbye to our person. I didn't get to say goodbye to Simon. Simon literally was here for breakfast and gone for lunch. He left one Sunday morning to go on a bike ride and had a cardiac arrest. And I never saw him alive again. Now, a lot of people suffer from sudden traumatic losses in varying different ways. But I know also there are people that know their person is going to die. They know that the end is near, but still may not feel like you had the opportunity to say goodbye to your person, to have the conversations that you wanted to have. Maybe the end came quicker than you imagined. Maybe it came when you weren't with them and you weren't expecting it. Maybe you just weren't able to find the words to say the things you wanted to say because it didn't feel right. It didn't feel like your person maybe wanted to have that conversation. There are so many reasons. There are so many reasons we don't get to say goodbye, to say the things that we would like to have said in an ideal world had we had all the information, all the facts to hand and the courage to say the words that we desperately sometimes want to say. Now, I found out Simon died by our friend coming and telling me. And I had a conversation with the police who had to inform me. And I just, I had this overwhelming desire. I needed to see him. I needed to be with him. I needed to speak to him. And I, it just, it was such a, a visceral, strong, tangible feeling for me. And I couldn't. And it was so frustrating because they had to take Simon to the um, coroner's office because he died suddenly and expectedly. Um, and it was a Sunday and they're not open on a Sunday. So there are no visiting hours. Um, so I was just left in limbo. You, you know, my husband had had gone out on a bike ride in the morning. I'd, I'd barely muttered two words to him because he'd left early and I was a little bit hungover. <laughs> um, and that was it. That was it. And then the next thing I know, somebody's knocking on my door telling me he's dead. What do you do with that? Like, you need to see them. And I couldn't see them. And then I thought, okay, I'll, I'll just get through today. I'll see him tomorrow. And then I spoke to um, the, somebody at the coroner's office and he needed a post-mortem. And I was advised not to see him because he still had everything in him that they had used to try and resuscitate him. <laughs> And I think from my nursing days, I know what that looks like. And I knew perhaps I didn't want to see Simon like that. And I had to listen to the advice that I was given. So instead, I went to the spot where Simon died. Simon 
was with Mark, his friend, who was the person who told me Simon had died on the bike ride. So Mark drove me to the place he died via the route that they had cycled so I could experience Simon's final moments on this earth. Sorry, I wasn't expecting to get emotional. I don't talk about this very often. Um, and it brings up emotion. So I, I went with Mark. We went via the, the route that was Simon's final route. And he took me to the spot where he died. And it was on a country lane and it was on a, on a grass verge where Simon had, had pulled over. And, the, you, you know, this is in September. The, the grass verges were, were quite overgrown and you could see the dip in the the grass that the grass that had been um pushed down where simon had obviously fallen and collapsed and where people had tried to resuscitate him for nearly an hour on that grass verge and um mark took me there and that's the, that's where that's the space where i properly broke down where i i i really did i think that was the first time since i'd found out simon had died that I cried. I don't recall crying on the Sunday. I was in, I was in complete and utter shock. Um, and it, it just, I didn't, I didn't have that emotion, but once I was taken to the spot where he died, it, it came out and I remember making some really weird noises. And I remember to start, I started to take off my jewelry because I wanted to leave like my jewelry, my jewelry where Simon had died. I wanted to leave something there in, you know, in, in his place. Luckily, my my dad came in and sat with me and said, Karen, you know, keep your jewellery. It's special to you. You'll want to keep it. Simon would want you to keep it. So I did. I just needed to see him. I needed to speak to him. This, this urge, this longing, this absolute fire inside of me just needed to be with him, just needed to see him. And I couldn't. They did the post-mortem on the Tuesday and my funeral directors very kindly got there literally as, as the um, coroner's court closed and picked Simon up and took him to the funeral directors and tidied him up. And I was able to go and see him on the Tuesday evening. And it was horrendous. It was horrendous. I remember walking into the room and as I kind of went to walk into the room, I, I could see his hand and his hand was grey. And I just remembered that look again from my nursing days when I'd been with people when they died, that colour. And I was really scared of what I was going to see. And I remember walking back out the room and saying to my dad, I can't, I can't go in there. I can't do it. I don't know really what I was scared of. The reality, maybe. Anyway. My dad looked me in the eyes and he said, you can, Karen, you can do this. Go and be with your husband. So I gathered myself. I walked into the room and he just looked like he was asleep. He looked so peaceful and just like he was asleep. And it was really hard. It was really hard to see that. It was really hard to be with him in that moment. I had so much I wanted to say, but I didn't know how to say it. And, and would he, would he hear it? Would he know I was there? Would he know I was saying these things to him? 
And I just sat and I held his hand and I, I did speak from my heart. And I spoke a lot about the children. And I promised him that I would absolutely make sure that the girls were okay in life, that they were able to live full and vibrant lives, that they would become strong, independent women, that I would, you know, teach them as much as I could of all the things that he would have taught them. And we'd had various discussions about the girls and and what we wanted for them in life. Um, But there was a lot we didn't talk about. There was a lot I didn't know. And you're left with a lot of unanswered questions, which can be an extra layer of suffering in your grief. Because you want to know what they think, because you want to be able to see that through for them. And I didn't have all the answers. Did he know that I loved him? Did he know that there was so much he'd given me in life that I was so grateful for? It was purely by luck on that Sunday morning that he went on his bike ride that we hadn't parted on crosswords because you know i was i was working as a midwife i was working night shifts and and was tired he was working full time running a, a business and was you know he was working 50 to 60 hours a week and some the girls were 9 and 5 and and demanding and you you know it's life right but it's difficult and he was a strong very um opinionated man and he liked things done a certain way. Don't get me wrong. He was an amazing listener. He had such a wise curiosity about him. And we, we had some incredible conversations, you know, when he was in the right mood. But he was also short-tempered and sometimes quite an angry person. So for us to part on a Sunday morning when there's two children in the house and I was a bit hungover and tired and he's going off on a bike ride, which I knew was going to be four or five hours because that's what he did. Often there were crosswords. There were, you know, and, and we would part on, on, on cross terms. Luckily that morning we didn't. He'd left before I'd pretty much even got up and we had a bit of a joke about I was being lazy and I couldn't believe he was going out on a bike ride because he must have felt really hungover. Um, but it could have been so different. It could have been so different. And, you know, life wasn't a, a particularly... Oh, it, do you know, it's family life. It's family life. And did we always show each other how much we cared and loved for each other? Did we take the time to spend together? Not not as much as we could have done, um, for sure, because you think you've got a lot longer left. So these things stay with you and and you worry that they didn't know how how loved they were and how important they were to you. So I had to find the words and I I went and spent a, a few moments with him each day for maybe... I can't remember, maybe a, a week or so after he died. I remember when I started to see his skin discolour, um, I thought I'm going to stop now because I want to remember you how I remember you as, as 
as as what you know as as being alive and, and vibrant and and he looked peaceful actually and I didn't want to to lose that image so I went and sat with him I went and saw him most days and and I spoke to him and I was really actually struggling with should I let my eldest daughter see him and I I didn't know what to do and I was sat chatting to him about this you know should I let Sydney come and see you I don't know whether she needs to come and say goodbye and it just came to me he always used to say to me speak to her you know, ask her. She has an opinion. She has a voice. Um, and, and he very much wanted the children to have that voice, to, to be able to make those decisions for themselves in life. Um, so I did. I went away and I spoke to her and she said she didn't want to. And, and that was the right thing. But almost just by sitting there and talking to him, I felt like I was getting an answer. And I believe I got that answer because actually we do know we know what our person would have said. We know what our person was feeling. We knew them. We were married to them. We lived with them. We spent more time with them than anyone else. And if we really allow ourselves to sit and explore the questions without judgment, without criticism, the answers are there. They, they are absolutely there. This is what I've really learned over time. But what we tend to do is... When we didn't get to have the conversation we wanted to have, when we didn't get to say goodbye to our person, when we didn't get to tell them all the things that we wanted to tell them, we tend to make things up in our head and we we assume we place a meaning on something. We make up a story that they didn't know they were loved, that they felt we weren't very kind to them, that you know there were certain questions that we will never know the answers to because how could we? Because they're not here anymore. But actually, if we can just create some space, some time, some stillness, and sit with the questions, sit with the thoughts. I personally have found that the answers come almost like the answer from our person in some way, because actually it's there, it's within us. But you know what? If you really can't find the answer, instead of making up a bad one, which is what we do because you know, our brain's natural negative bias will always go that way. We'll always go to the worst case scenario. Choose the good story. I've spoken about this before in previous episodes. Find a story that feels good, that gives you some peace, that gives you permission to move forward, taking them with you, but with that peace in your heart, with that knowing. And this is what I've had to do with the questions that I have for Simon and the unanswered, like what what did he want for the kids growing up? You know, like my children, Sydney's going to be 16 next week and Ella's going to be 12 in, in a couple of months. And I don't know what he would want for them now because they're so much older than they were when he was alive. And and he hasn't been here to experience them growing up and he's not here to to tell me what he thinks is important for them. But actually, when I sit with it, I do find some answers. And the ones that I can't find answers to, I create a story, a meaning, a response that feels good to me. And I allow myself to trust my own judgment based on where I am now. Now, I don't always get it right. Of course, I don't. And, and sometimes I, I still really miss him and wish I could talk to him and, and find the actual answers, but I can't. That's out of my control. So, just let yourself sit with it. Ask the questions. Find the good story. Find the good meaning. Because I think as well, what we can do is 
we can very much base the relationship that we had with our person on those last days, weeks, months of, of our time together. And we will question that time, especially if it was a difficult time or there was an argument and we weren't particularly getting on. We'll think, oh no, I, I failed. I got it wrong. They don't know how loved they were. They don't know how much I appreciated them. I wasn't a good wife. I wasn't fulfilling my duties well enough. Um, oh, I think we have duties, but you know what I mean. But actually look at the bigger picture. Look at the 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 years that you spent together, whether it was one or 50, you know, look at the time you spent together and look at what you created that time, the magical moments, the memories, you know, the the times where you came together and you tackled life's challenges together and focus on those. Look at the good times. Look at the love that was shared because that's so important. And we're very good at focusing on a small moment of time that maybe wasn't the best moment in time and giving ourselves a hard time for that. But actually, you know, look at everything. Look at your relationship as a whole. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard, especially if you haven't had conversations about what they would want for you after they died. Simon and I did have a lot of conversations. I think because of what I did for a living with my nursing and my midwifery, it prompted a lot of conversations about death and what would happen if one of us died or, or you know, how we would want life to look afterwards, what we would want done with our bodies and what we would want our funeral to, to look like. We didn't get into the nitty gritty of it, but we had a few ideas. I did really struggle with the ashes. And, you know, Simon's mum wanted his ashes to go where his dad was. Simon had agreed to this not long after his dad had died, but he had told me in more recent times, because he now had his own children and, and we were married, that he didn't want his ashes to go there anymore if he died, but he hadn't relayed that to his mum. So, of course, when he died, his mum was quite fixed on the fact his ashes would go and be scattered where his dad was. And I said, that's not what he wants anymore. But she hadn't heard him say that. And that's really hard, isn't it? Because I could have been lying. I wasn't lying. But she doesn't know that. She's grieving her son. He's told her something. I'm telling her another. That's tough. And it was a difficult time for us. But I kind of stood my corner because I thought, do you know, those ashes should not be scattered there. It means nothing to the children. None of us know where this place is. It's not near home. It's not memorable for us. And I didn't I didn't want to do that to, to please his mum because I knew that wasn't going to be the best for myself and, and more importantly, the girls as, as they grew up. I have still got Simon's ashes. Six and a half years later, they are still here. I've recently just taken some ashes out to make my daughter a memorial bracelet for her 16th. Um, and the bag that they're in, which is in a box, is starting to, to, to kind of break down. Um, so I'm now looking for an urn because I haven't even put him into a night urn or anything yet. Um, and I did battle with the ashes notion for a long time what to do with them because I felt like I should do something with them what would he want me to do with them I don't know what he want me to do with them I don't even know really what he wanted for his funeral all I knew was that he wanted to be cremated and it's so hard because you want to do your best by them 
But do you know, I feel like I did. I feel like I did do my best by him. I stood up at his funeral. I said things I wanted to say. I made my promises. I wrote them in a letter. I put them in with him. And how I have continued with that is to continue speaking to him actually and and I speak to Simon all the time on my walks at home maybe where I've got his ashes out maybe if I'm listening to some of the music that reminds me of him and I'm I'm a firm believer of continuing bonds because death takes our person from us in a physical sense but for me the love is still there and the relationship lives on we we need to find another way of expressing our love for them and we do that by creating these continuing bonds and and that can look different for everyone and you know my way is to is to talk to him um to listen to his music to live out some of his values to make sure that you know the impact he had on me is is what i put out into the world so he he lives on in that way as well but you can write a letter. You can write a letter to them and say goodbye in a letter. And that's a lovely thing to do. Some people like to make a bit of a, what's the word? I was going to say a ritual, but I don't think that's the right word. When A ceremony, a ceremony. So you write the letter and then maybe you would burn the letter around a fire pit one night or something and and, and let that letter go out into the, the universe and, and say your goodbye that way. Some people may want to have a place where they can go. So maybe bury the ashes or the body. So you've got a, a grave or, you know, a, a place where the ashes are scattered or buried that you can go to and speak to them and, and, and say goodbye that way as well. You can wear their favorite clothes. You know, you can sit with them that way and snuggle up at home in their favorite jumper and, and spray their, their aftershave or their perfume on it and, 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 and be with them that way and, and, spend time with them in in that way as well you can make a spot almost like a little shrine at home that's for them and that can be your way of of saying goodbye there's lots of different ideas there's lots of things you can do and i think sometimes we can romanticize about the goodbye that we would have had we read a lot of books we watch a lot of movies where there's these romantic goodbyes these peaceful goodbyes these meaningful goodbyes that people have which are lovely but Sometimes that isn't the reality of it. That isn't possible. And that isn't how things look for everyone. So it's remembering that this is real life. This isn't a movie and things don't always pan out as, as you'd like them to. We didn't know then what we know now. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. But my advice to you is to find your way of, of saying goodbye or saying the things that you'd want to say. Trust in yourself that you do know the answers that you do know that they were loved, to look at your whole relationship, the bigger picture, all those moments that you shared together, all that love that was shared between you. Look at all of that. Treasure that. All the answers are within you. I say this all the time to the ladies in, in my groups. The answers are within you. You have the answers. But sometimes we are absolutely layering we're, we're pushing them down because we're creating stories we're attaching meaning to things that aren't true and we're adding suffering to our suffering whereas if we can strip all those stories back and just sit with the question without criticism without judgment the answers come they absolutely come be kind to yourself look for the good in everything everywhere because it is absolutely there for you. And 
I know it's hard. I know it's hard when you didn't get to say the things you wanted to say, but I truly believe that we're still able to show them in the things that we do, that we love them. We're still able to demonstrate everything that they taught us, everything that they gave us, all the love that we shared in our lives. And I like to feel that they are aware of that, that they can see that, that they can feel that. I don't know how. I'm not religious. I'm not massively spiritual. I've kind of made that my belief system because I like to believe that one day I will see Simon again and we will have an amazing conversation. So for me, maybe it's just not goodbye. It's just, I'll see you again. And I really, I really like to believe that. I don't know how. I don't know where. Maybe it's not true, but. It's what helps me. It's what brings me comfort. That's my good story that I tell myself that brings me peace, that brings me comfort, that allows me to create those continuing bonds with with Simon and still show him that I love him, that he has had a huge impact on my life and that he was and still is very much loved. I hope this has helped. If it has, please do share it with someone and rate review, subscribe to the podcast, wherever you're listening to it. It really helps me reach more people that need this support so desperately. Sending you lots of love. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to The Widow Podcast with me, Karen Sutton. If you would like to be part of a supportive community of people who understand your grief, come and join my free Facebook group, Widowed and Rising. And make sure you tune in to the next episode of The Widow Podcast.